Good morning. Today's reading is Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses 1 through 8. Hear the word of the Lord. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way, the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child. So you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Hope. It is my birthday today. Um, yeah, thank you. Um, I'm 45, and here's how I know I'm 45, two, two ways. Uh, I came to the church workday yesterday, and I physically exerted myself, as one does at a workday. Then I went to bed at like 8 p.m. last night. <laughs> saying, All right. And, and then second, second way, I, a few days ago, Libby said, hey, what do you want to do for your birthday? And I said, you know, I think I would really like to hear some Tchaikovsky. <laughs> so, so this afternoon, we're going to the symphony. And uh, this is 45. <laughs> 8 p.m. bedtimes and uh, symphonies. When our boys were younger, uh, they, they both really loved to play Monopoly. I hate Monopoly. <laughs> Mostly because I'm no good at it, but, um, but also by about age six, like, both boys were beating me regularly. And the problem was I never wanted to, to like, let go of that colorful money. Never wanted to, to spend it. I would land on a property, and I would calculate how much it would cost to acquire that property, and then I think, eh, nah, I better, I better pass. I'll just hang on to what I've got. Because after all, there's no telling when in Monopoly you might land on a chance square and you might have to pay some kind of fee or you land on uh, the community chest and you have to pay a property tax or you could land on someone else's property and then you have to pay a fine. And I just didn't know what might happen and so I always played it safe. And meanwhile, the boys, well, they played just like children. You know, just having fun. Uh, they, they took risks, and they held that colorful paper loosely, and they parted with it easily, and they were prodigal sons spending <laughs> extravagantly and recklessly. They actually enjoyed the game, and more often than not, they won. Uh, throughout Ecclesiastes, Kohelet uh, has been trying to wake us up to the world as it actually is. And in our passage this morning, he wants us to see that the world as it actually is, is full of uncertainty. It's full of uncertainty. 
He wants us to reckon with the reality that in a world of Hebel, we have to move forward with no real guarantee of what tomorrow will bring. We have to act with no assurance of the outcome. We have to face the reality that regardless of our effort, we have really no control over what the future holds. So let's look at how this theme of uncertainty runs through the passage, and then we'll look at how Kohela advises us to live in light of the uncertainty. So first, Kohela just reminds us that the future is uncertain, broadly, generally. Look again at the second half of verse 2. He says, you know not what disaster may happen on earth. And so his, the basic point here is that we don't know what the future holds, at least not in the specifics. I mean, we know that there are going to be good days and bad days, uh, but when we wake up in the morning, we don't know exactly which one's coming our way. Uh, we, we don't even know, let's be honest, we don't even know for sure that we will wake up in the morning. We know, as verse 3 says, that when the clouds are dark and brooding, full of rain, well, then it's probably going to rain. But beyond that, like, predicting the weather is really hard. Uh, it's hard even with all of our mo modern scientific instruments. I mean, just think of how often your weather app tells you one thing, and that's not, that's not what unfolds. The meteorologists get it wrong all the time. Like, there are no guarantees about what tomorrow holds. We can't predict with total accuracy the lives before us. The future is uncertain. But that's not all. It's not just the future is uncertain. Um, God's ways, Kohelet says, are uncertain. They're mysterious. They're unknown to us. Uh, look at verse 5 again. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. So here Kohelet is emphasizing just how mysterious and how unknowable God's ways are. God has made everything. Kohelet acknowledges that. He, he affirms that. And we've seen him affirm that God is sovereign over everything. But this doesn't make life any less uncertain. We don't know how and why God does what he does. We don't have access to the mind of God like that. And so in Isaiah, you remember that place where God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than yours, and my thoughts higher than yours. And Kohelet would say, yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, the fact that God has created everything and rules over the world does not help with the uncertainty because God is God, and we're not. We're not. Now, uh, look at the second half of verse 6. He says, you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. And so here his point is that, like, not, not only is the future uncertain generally, and not only are the ways of God uncertain, but um, our success is completely uncertain. Like, all of us um, want to succeed. Like, no one aims for failure. We want our lives to mean something, to count for something. We want to achieve this or that. But we just, we have no guarantee that, that what we set our lives to will, will play out the way we want it to. We don't know if it's going to succeed or fail. Um, and, and that's Kohelet's point. Like, in advance, there's no way of knowing. We don't know whether what we do will in the end make a difference and hit the mark or fail entirely. Um, and, and sometimes, sometimes the things that we succeed at end up being the things we most regret. I mean, that's Hebel. Uh, we've talked about Barbie you remember the other big movie that came out when Barbie came out? Oppenheimer. Did any of you see Oppenheimer? Yeah, a few of you. It's a good movie. 
any movie by Christopher Nolan is, is worth a watch. Uh, but, I mean, Oppenheimer, this amazing intellect, this just brilliant human mind that um, he gave himself to creating the A-bomb, and then he just lived the rest of his life, like, uh, like dreading his creation. Like, what, what had he done? He succeeded, but did he succeed? See, our success is uncertain. Kohelet wants us to face the world as it actually is, and when we do, we see that it is just chock full of uncertainty. We don't know how to predict the future. We don't know why and how things happen the way they do. We can't guarantee the success of any of our endeavors. We do know that we're going to die, but none of us knows exactly when or how death will come to us. So what do we do? What do we do? Like in light of all this uncertainty, how do we live wisely and well? Kohelet's advice is unexpected. It's maybe a little counterintuitive. Because what would make sense, at least to me, in light of all the uncertainty, at least to me, Monopoly player that I am, uh, in light of all the uncertainty, is, is to like live as conservatively as possible. right? To, to hang on to whatever resources you have. To do what you can to keep at, as much control over your life as you can muster. To play it safe. To minimize the risks. But that's not Kohelet's guidance. Look again at verses 1 and 2. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. Now, I learned uh, in preparation for this week that like these verses are notoriously difficult to interpret. Uh, some say this is about maritime trade. Like, you know, send your goods across the sea and they'll... And, you know, someone will send you something back. Uh, one interpretation I particularly like says that this is about brewing beer. Uh, because apparently, <laughs> apparently, immersing bread in water was one of the steps for how it was done back in the day. Uh, brew beer for your friends and then share with like seven or eight friends. You see, that's what maybe Kohela is saying. Well, probably not. But that, it, it has been interpreted that way. What most commentators think uh, this is talking about is generous giving. Generous giving. Cast, or literally send out your bread, is a way of saying, like, just be promiscuously generous. Be prodigal sons and daughters. In the, in the Bible, you remember seven is the number of perfection. And so giving to seven and, and then to eight is like, it's giving completely. It's giving entirely. And then even a little bit more. Like we might say today, give to the nth degree. Give to the nth degree. Kohelet says, yeah, do that. Do that. And he says, do it now. Do it now. Look at verse 4. He says, if you're always worrying about the wind and the clouds, these things that are entirely out of your control, you can't control the wind and clouds. If you're, if you're always worried about them, you'll never get around to the good work of sowing. So don't sit around waiting for the right time or the perfect conditions for generosity. Don't wait for some guarantee that you'll have the results you want. Just get going, Kohelet says. In light of life's uncertainty, he says, take what you have and just pour it out for the sake of others. Invest your life. Now, that's probably counterintuitive at best. Life is so uncertain. There's so much risk in everything we do. Disaster could strike at any moment. And, and see, at least my natural impulse would be 
in light of all of that, to freeze up, to worry, to fret, to take, to take what I have and to cling to it as tightly as I can. And Kohelet says, no, just don't do that. The uncertainty shouldn't freeze you up. It should free you up to embrace bold, radical generosity. You know, Jesus once told a story about a rich man who gets this big financial windfall, and so he decides to do what? You remember? He just he starts building barns. And then bigger and bigger barns to store up all of his goods and his grains. And you see, that is the response that makes the most sense in light of all the uncertainty about what tomorrow will bring. Hang on to what you have and be prepared for disaster to strike. It's sensible, isn't it? So the rich man does this, and he says to himself, self, really nice job. You have so much wealth laid up. You have these awesome-looking barns. You're going to be okay. You can relax. And then God comes in, and he says, not so fast, buddy. He says, this very night your soul is required of you. And, and what good is all those barns now? Kohelet would have loved that story. The future is so uncertain, he's saying, don't make the mistake of treating your wealth and your possessions as if they can help you manage and control the uncertainty. Um, it could all be taken from you at any moment. So what should you do? Cast your bread upon the waters. Take what you have and plow it out into the lives of others for their good. Give, Kohelet says, to the nth degree. Sit loose to your possessions, and while there's still time, just give and give and give. Um, that is counterintuitive advice at best. Uh, at worst, it might sound downright irresponsible and reckless. If, if any of you have financial advisors, um, Michael Martin's not in the room. Michael Martin's a financial advisor. Uh, the, Michael would tell us, and, and so would your financial advisor, that... Uh, it, it's wise to adopt a long-term view about your wealth. Prepare now for what could come later. Uh, and it seems, it sure sounds like Kohela is, is subverting this, and that Jesus, when he tells that story about the barns, is subverting this respected wisdom. And in a way, maybe both of them are. Maybe they are subverting this. But if you think about it, uh, Jesus is kind of like a financial advisor with a time machine. It's not that he doesn't have a long-term view. It's that he has a very long-term view. See, he sees, he sees way ahead. He sees way ahead. Remember, he says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. You see, he's not anti-investment. He just wants us to invest in what will actually last. He sees way way ahead to what will be unaffected by storms and time and corrosion and decay and death. And he says, invest in that. He says, have you considered this portfolio, the kingdom of God? Have you considered that? You know, most of the things we put our money into, it will burn up with the sun. I watched this funny clip on, gosh, I'm, in, I'm ashamed to admit this. I watched a funny clip on Instagram. <laughs> where it was this comedian sitting down with a, with a um, scientist, and the scientist was just saying, like, you know, in, in about four billion years, um, the sun is going to have it expanded and just consumed the earth. 
And then about at that same time, there's this other galaxy that's expanding, and ours is expanding, and this other galaxy is going to collide into ours. And it's just, you know, it's, it's going to be over then. And, um, like, everything that we're investing in is going to burn up with the sun. But what, what Jesus would say is that, you know, people are eternal. That love is eternal. That uh, the, the work done for the kingdom will not pass away. And so, so the question is, how, family, can we invest our lives in ways um, that will bear dividends long after the sun has just dissolved into dust? Worldly wisdom says, build bunkers and barns and prepare for disaster because you never know what might happen. So hoard and protect and store up for the worst-case scenario. And biblical wisdom says, you are going to die. And it could happen tomorrow. And so the best, so, so take the best of what you have and take the best of who you are and just give it away. Just give it away. Throw open the doors and windows of your homes, the doors and windows of your churches, the doors and windows of your schools. Like open up your wallets and open up your schedules and open up your lives. Just give and give and give to the ninth degree. Take your bread cast it upon the waters. Is it possible to live like this? What would it look like? What would it look like for you to live like this? Is it possible? It is possible. Um, you know, the early Christians lived like this. There's a letter dating back to the first or second century, and we don't know who wrote the letter, but it's addressed to a guy named Diognetus. And the letter says this, just one portion of it. Christians busy themselves on earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. They marry and have children, and yet they don't kill unwanted babies. They're persecuted by all, and yet they love everyone. They share their table with everyone, but they don't share their beds with everyone. They are poor, and yet they make many rich. They are short of everything, and yet have plenty of all things. See, the early Christians... Uh, you can also just read Acts if you want another example. But the early Christians uh, were investing their lives. Like they were, they were taking their bread and casting it upon the water. Um, they, I love it. Like they were conservative with their bodies, but they were really promiscuous with just about everything else. They, they cared not just for their own poor, but for everyone's poor. They took in abandoned babies. They practiced forgiving their enemies. When plagues hit, they didn't run away to protect themselves, but they stayed in the cities to take care of the sick, even at the cost of their own lives. I mean, they lived these remarkable lives of extraordinary generosity. They opened their homes to their neighbors, like it, just in all kinds of ways, big and small. They were sowing um, in the morning, and they were opening their hands in the evening. They were giving to the ninth degree. They were casting their bread upon the water. And family, it changed the world. I mean, why do you think you're sitting in this room? It's like it changed the world. What would it look like for us? What would it mean for you to cast your bread upon the waters? Um, I'm not the Holy Spirit. Whew, deep sigh of relief. So, but So I just want to invite you to kind of 
wrestle with this on your own, like when you're outside of this room, like maybe this evening or sometime this week. But just to kind of think through different areas of your life and to prayerfully enter into a conversation with God and, and maybe with the people who you live with and say, hey, what would this look like for us? You can think through areas, like think about your money. Um, like, but, but don't just think about your money because this is about so much more. Think about your time. Think about your schedule. Think about your house or your apartment, your home. Um, think about your relationships. You know, sometimes we hoard our relationships and we have this like inner circle and we're just so fearful to break out of it and to take a risk to invest in someone who might not be able to give back what we're looking for in friendship. Like, just think about these different areas of your life and say, Lord, what would it look like? How might, how might Jesus be calling you to take your bread and to cast it on the water? You know, Paul says those who sow sparingly will reap sparingly. I mean, and it's not even like he's saying, like, it's not a command. He's just like saying something that is the way the world works. If you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. Life is so uncertain. The natural impulse is to protect ourselves and hoard our stuff and play it safe. But the way of the kingdom is just to turn outward, uh, to open up our hands, to open up our lives, and to cast our bread. How can we live like this? How did the early church live like this? Had, had, had the early church just really taken Ecclesiastes 11 to heart? No, family. I mean, have you ever actually taken bread and cast it onto the water? Yeah, that's right. Like, what happens when you do that? Ducks eat it. Fish eat it. And if, if the ducks and fish don't get it, it just gets really soggy, and then it just starts to disintegrate and sink down, down to the dark depths. It's like we, I mean, so we need more than an ancient sage coming along and telling us, hey, throw your bread on the water. Ecclesiastes is true, but it's not the whole truth. You know, Jesus does invite us to cast our bread on the water, but that's not all he does. He lives this. He lives it himself. He does it himself for you and for me. Um, he takes his life, takes his life, and he gives it away. Uh, he, he gives to the nth degree. This prodigal son, who is also the bread of life, sees the hebel of the world the sea of sin and evil and death, and he doesn't retreat back toward the safety of the land, but he uh, plunges in, plunges in, and he does sink down to the very dark depths, and he does come apart. And he does this trusting God, but not with any real certainty about the outcome, because he was a human being just like you, just like me. I mean, his cry of God forsakenness on the cross shows us that he had reached a place of profound doubt, if not outright despair. He felt abandoned, not just by his closest friends, but also by his Father in heaven. And then he died. If you thought casting your bread on the water was an invitation to some life of extraordinary comfort and everything going just the way you want it, no. No, it's not. 
It is an invitation to true life, but it's also an invitation to death. Jesus died. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it again after many days, or in Jesus' case, three, because on the third day the bread of life walked out of the tomb. And now he invites us to follow him in the power of the Spirit. And, and how does he issue that invitation? He says, whoever would come after me, take up your cross and follow. For whoever wants to save his life, like if, you're, if, if you want to hoard it, if you want to store it up, if you want to keep it to yourself, that's lost already. But if you lose it, pour it out. If you cast your bread, it's safe secure. You have nothing to lose. See, that's the invitation to live as citizens of this upside-down kingdom, following this king who won by losing, and who triumphed by dying, and who gained everything by giving everything away. And so, family, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, and stay in step with the Spirit. And then in faith, take your bread cast it upon the water. In Jesus' name, amen.